0: They shoot the shit. They shoot, they shoot the shit. Shoot, 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 shit, shit. Shooting the shit with Chippa. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Shooting the Shit with Chippa. The first episode actually being recorded on my new phone because I broke it. Or should I say something at work broke it and haven't had a phone for a few days. And so those of you keeping track, this is... Um, was this the 21st of July or 22nd of July, something like that. So for those of you that saw radio silence for me and, a couple of days of the podcast not going up is because I was dealing with that amongst other things. Before I get into my very special returning guests today, I'd like to thank my $15 or more a month patrons. They are Mason, Christopher Finnick, Patricia Chipman, Hugh K. Campbell Jr., Alex Peregrine, Kevin C.V., Mike the Gatherer, Tyler Freshcorn, Mark Price, and collaborating online. And I'd like to thank my newest patron, Matthew Williams. It's particularly awesome to thank a brand new patron because during the times we've been going through now for the last five goddamn months um anyone that's willing to shell out some extra cash to uh, support people like me and others that are uh doing um you know creating content out there is awesome It's not required and not expected. And so, Matt, thank you so much for uh, being able to support. And with that, um, this show, like a lot of them, is brought to you by the Geeks with Shields podcast. Each week hosts Axel and Ulrich provide a nerdy escape from the darkest timeline, talking everything from comics to long-forgotten movies and TV shows. If the darkest timeline has you down, check out the Geeks with Shields podcast for all your nerdy needs. And become a patron of theirs so you can hear me and them talk all about the entire filmography of Michael Bay We've been doing a thing called The Road to Bayhem, and we've been going through each of his films and marveling in them being even worse than we remember. So, yay! And with that, my returning guest, Ryan, please reintroduce yourself to the interwebs.
1: Yes, uh, hello interwebs. It's me again. I'm Ryan Wharton. I've been on the show a few times before, and I am glad to be back.
0: Yes, so Ryan and I recorded an episode back on February 17th. That is the pre-Hellscape days when when the words COVID-19 were only something that was affecting, you know, overseas. And it was a week before I did my big uh, thing with my brother, the um, Chipman Brothers Grumpy Old Gamers panel at PAX East. And this was going to be this big kickoff into wonderful awesome things to come and a summer full of conventions and movies and then it all went to shit like a day later so uh ryan thank you for five months later for uh, coming back on and um i know that uh it's been rough on everybody particularly you know you and people around us so uh you know hopefully this can be a little bit of a catharsis to talk about hopefully the world getting better i hope
1: uh, me too um, yeah it's been rough but I've just been kind of dealing because if I uh, if I think about it too much uh, I will just panic so I'd rather just uh, go okay I'm stuck here how can I entertain myself instead exactly so what have you been uh, what have you been doing with that in mind Anything So, very recently, I've decided on a whim, because I finished, in the uh, months since we uh, last spoke, I watched the entirety of Dragon Ball Super. Oh, shit. Yeah, I uh, finally bit the bullet on that and watched all of Dragon Ball Super. I really like it. And uh, I've since been deciding to watch the entirety of the Dragon Ball franchise. So And I just finished Dragon Ball uh, yesterday.
0: Well, if you've got time, that is certainly a way to fill it. I, uh, God, I can't remember. I've never watched all of it, but I remember watching the majority of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z with my brother. Um, when it was first, well, when each of them respectively were first in syndication over here. And I remember going off the air. So then we had to go and buy the remaining VHS tapes to
1: finish it. Oh, that's, that's weird because like, um, at least for Dragon Ball Z, because that was Tsunami's linchpin. Like that was the thing that put Toonami on the map. See, huh. this was
0: before Tsunami. It used to show before um, Cartoon Network had Toonami, Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, it was either Channel 5 or Channel 6, like the ABC or NBC, one of those had it. And they showed it in, like, their 5.30 after-school, like, run. And they would show Dragon Ball one day and Dragon Ball Z the next day. So they were showing both shows in succession, but they never finished them. So uh, it was, like, three or four years later, the Tsunami dropped it. And I was like, yo, great, I wish I should have just waited for them to have it, rather than buying all these VHS tapes.
1: <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I think... Uh... I think Toonami was whenever Funimation got those, and before that it was the Ocean Group, and they were doing their own dubs of the show.
0: Yes, it was like watching it again for the first time when
1: it was on Toonami. (laughs) Yeah, and it's kind of funny, because I knew at the time that Funimation actually only aired Dragon Ball Z, and it wasn't until very late in the run that they decided to start dubbing and airing Dragon Ball. But I didn't realize like they were airing new episodes, quote unquote, new episodes of Dragon Ball all the way up into the uh, Kid Boo saga, like the final few Kid Boo episodes of Dragon Ball Z. That's weird. That, that's a weird um,
0: side by side, you know, not watching them in order like that, like watching them happen together.
1: Oh yeah I, I had i had thought i remember like because i knew that they were doing new episodes of dragon ball like during the cell saga and such but i didn't realize it went all the way into majin Buu until i just on a whim looked up some old tsunami ads on youtube and it was like uh a two-hour block of dragon ball z and dragon ball and it was like The previous day's episode and then the next it, and then today's new episode advertisements and they were advertising uh, the final kid boo stretch of Dragon Ball Z alongside Dragon Ball. This is bringing back so many memories. Yeah. And so I'm like, I'm just on the big Dragon Ball kick.
0: (laughs) How many episodes are are each of those again it's a lot
1: okay dragon ball is 153 jesus um and then dragon ball z i ha- i haven't looked looked it up again um but it was like i think somewhere around like 250 or like 275 was the grand total for dragon ball z it almost hit 300 for dragon it- ball z. well
0: it's double regular Dragon Ball yeah I I do recall that what about Dragon
1: Ball Super how much was in that Uh, that's a hundred and thirty-one episodes yeah like like the shortest series out of all of them oh well if you don't count Kai is uh, Dragon Ball GT at 64 And it's funny because I'm probably the one person on earth I know who will go to the mat for Dragon Ball GT. I oh, don't know. Dragon Ball GT was good. I watched it. Yeah. I think, I think with Dragon Ball GT's thing, it had a lot of cool concepts and the execution was just kind of sloppy. Like the idea of the Shadow Dragons and their whole like shtick. I'm like, that is actually kind of a. Uh, Awesome when you consider what the Dragon Balls are and how hard they're supposed to be to find. Right. Like, because um, even in Dragon Ball Super, uh, there's a few times where uh, they just need the... Dra- like, Bulma gathers the Dragon Balls for a birthday party uh, prize, like a bingo prize. Because <laughs> she can just, like, have her husband go and find them, like, in an afternoon.
0: <laughs> those
1: those shows are bonkers oh
0: yeah i've uh we've been um you know watching movies and stuff my brother got me a ps4 for father's day so oh, i i finally have seen i haven't had a playstation since ps2 and i really haven't played any of the games of this generation because i the last system I had was an Xbox 360, and I owned that so I could play Rock Band. Uh, and, <laughs> uh, then I have a Switch and a Wii U. So other other than playing like straight-up Nintendo games, this is the first time. So, of course, the first thing I bought was Final Fantasy VII
1: Remake, and it's just a thing of beauty, and it makes me happy. <laughs> have you I, played it? I haven't gotten my hands on it yet, and honestly, I actually never played the original Final Fantasy VII. It's one of those things, I,
0: I give it a lot of credit, um, because it they made a remake, but they made a remake kind of the way J.J. Abrams did with the Star Trek reboot he did. You know, the, the Christmas yeah, Star Trek, I, how, how they kind of said, okay, there's some time-shifting self-awareness going on, so we can play around with the rules a little bit, and... So it's less a remake and more of like you're watching the events play over again, but something that's already been through them is screwing with it. So it's messing with your interpretation. So it allows them some dramatic license to fix some things, comment on some things, and make the game um, uh, breathe fresh air into it if you've played through the story before or if you've never played it before. It's just something super cool
1: and brand new that you don't need to have played the original to fully get. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. Um, whenever that first came out, I knew there was some anger when some people started getting near the end. Yep. Cause uh, it wasn't what they had originally thought it was going to be. And I yep. actually asked someone to spoil, spoil me on it. Cause I, I know I'm not going to touch this game for years and years. And when they told me what the big deal was, I'm like, that is really, really clever. And I can't believe they did that. That's uh, kind of interesting.
0: It's almost like they had Yoko Jima working for them, and he was like, so the best thing to do when people want the same game you already made before is just make Metal Gear Solid 2. <laughs> <laughs> I love that he did that. He's just like, so yeah, you want to play Snake? I'm going to kill him, quote-unquote. And you're going to play this whole other character that doesn't control like him at all. i love that guy because he's he's just that crazy um the other game i got that is just the biggest dumbest piece of trash game ever and i love everything about it is man eater i haven't heard of this one so man eater is you control a shark and the shark is a baby shark whose mother has been killed by, like, a rogue, like, deep-sea fishing nature documentary dipshit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He cuts you out of her stomach and gives you, like, a mark and throws you in the water, and you're on, like, a revenge mission to find him. But, like, you're going through, like, a hyper-real version of reality, so, like, this shark can, like, eat
1: nuclear waste and evolve and get, like, electrocuting teeth and shit like that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> and
1: it's like a orca crossed with jaws and rampage
0: yeah and then the gameplay style is like grand theft auto like open world so you can kind of go anywhere and do anything and you can jump out of the water and eat people and swat them with your tail and fling them into buildings it's it. It's one of those games it's very shallow no pun intended like there's not a lot you can do but what you can do is so much fun It's running on the Unreal Engine, so it's just a really stable, you know, last generation engine that just looks really good. So it it came out on the Switch and PS4 and Xbox One. So, but I got it on PS4 because my brother bought it for me. He goes, Dude, I got you, man eater. Remember when we played it at PAX? How cool it was. But I think my favorite thing about the game is Chris Parnell from Saturday Night Live does Mm -hmm. color commentary over it all. (laughs) Oh, like you're watching what you're doing? (laughs) Yeah. And he'll, like, he mixes in actual facts about sharks with completely BS made-up shit. That's, <laughs> it's so friggin' funny. <laughs> like, it, it just it kills me. Like, you're, you're like, well, you know, actually, sharks, you know, favorite dish is the legs of swimmers. You know, you'd be like, well, what? What does he even <laughs> It's just very random. And um, I love it. And I, I highly recommend it. Again, there's no. It's it's a piece of trash game. Like they definitely went for the Sharknado,
1: like level of quality. <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I may, may need this game. But like shallow game, shallow gameplay can yield some of the best games. Like uh, as long as you get the one mechanic you want uh, your game to be about, right? Yeah, then everything else is gravy. Like because um, that's what the two gravity rush games has going on for them. Have you played those? Yes. Yeah. The, the gravity mechanics and all that are like refined to a fine point. Like it's just fun to use them in that weird ass world that they build and nothing else really matters because it's just fun. (laughs)
0: Yeah. It's, I I like, like, you know that you're little when you start. So like you can get killed by a crocodile. Cause you're in like the Bayou It's kind of like the area you're in in the game, um, but like when you get bigger, you can go back and kill the crocodiles. So yes. like, it, it's just it's so much fun. I, I don't know. It, it's just it's not a great game, but the mechanic they got so right, and, you know, because it's a fetch quest game, right? So it's it's very you know very repetitive and stuff. But I turn it on, and I just go hit. I ate all those swimmers and then they ran and then they thought they were safe on the dock and I jumped out of the water and flapped around on the dock and hit them into the water with my tail and then I ate them. <laughs> it's really? And I sank this boat with everybody on it. <laughs> it's just like, it's very cathartic, I guess.
1: <laughs> I hope they offer an, a mutation one, like in a DLC or something where you get legs so you can be a land shark.
0: Oh God, they must. They're so... I, I haven't gotten there yet I'm about sixty percent in, but if they do that because there's definitely like they have like whole cities built like on land like you, there's it's a pretty detailed for a for not you know that's definitely using last generation mechanics, but mm-hmm. it's a very detailed game and um I was yeah it's it's really cool um and then what else oh I got rocksmith have you ever heard of rocksmith? can't say that I have so. Rocksmith is. Uh, Ubisoft was making this at the same time that, um, uh, not Activision, because they dropped um, Rock Band, but Harmonix mm-hmm. was making Rock Band 3, where they had the pro mode, where they sold a guitar that functioned like a real guitar. Like it had, you know, buttons that represented all the frets and all the strings. Yeah, I remember that. I- Rocksmith took it one step further. So it's less a video game and more a training tool was their idea. And I never had a console that could play it. So I never had it, but what the game is, is, you know, it's got like 60 something songs in it and then you can download more and you can hook any guitar that has a quarter inch jack up to the game. And so it just, it's a special USB adapter and I guess they remade it for PS4 in 2014. So I got this PS4 and it said, hey, you know, Rocksmith is on sale for $5.99. And I'm like, shit, even if I have to spend $30 for the special adapter cable, this is worth it. So I bought the game and I had always heard it was great. And what they added that I didn't know the game had was a version for bass and I'm semi-okay at finding my way around a bass guitar and I have a bass guitar. So I plugged the bass in. The game's crazy. It starts up and it has you tune the guitar. It helps you learn to tune it and has a real tuner built in and works with all the pickups. And then when you pick a song that's in a different tuning, it tells you how to tune to it and why it's tuned that way and what makes it different. And then it's got actual training scenarios that teach you, you know, hand placement and how hard to hold the strings. And I'm like, this is crazy. And, and I love it. It's, it's a wonderful game, even though it's basically a teaching tool. Um, and I I would recommend oh in the game there's no difficulty setting. You you play the game and the game adjusts to you. Okay. So you it turns on a song and puts it at the simplest it could possibly be. And then as you play the song, it'll stop and say, Okay, the game's adapting. It understands. Um and now it's gonna make it a little harder to see if you can play this, you know, bar, and if you do it, it keeps ramping it up. And it's like, oh, this is really cool. Huh. So food for thought that that's aside from the multiple podcasts and other stuff and uh renovation getting done on our house and my kids not sleeping and the day job, which again, I know, no, don't complain. I have one. I, I, I get it. And I'm very, very lucky because it's a shitty world out there. But, uh, Oh, have they been opening any new drive-in theaters near you?
1: uh i haven't seen any um i haven't really gone looking granted but i haven't heard of any and every time i like look for theaters there doesn't appear to be any new ones around okay because we've got originally
0: even though the boston area has nothing but like an hour hour or so out there's a couple of drive-ins still in existence but again, they have nothing to show. So they've just been doing retro movies, which is really cool. But mm-hmm. the problem with that is if we don't bring the kids, you know, we're not getting home till like two in the morning, and who's going to watch the kids till then? But right. all the local fairgrounds that are supposed to be having big fairs, because, you know, we're like a farm fair area, um, they're not, they're, they don't know if they're doing them. So the carnival people that are going to be losing a ton of money by not being able to have their carnival at the fair set up the carnival food trucks as a snack bar, got the rights to, you know, 30, 40, 50, whatever, older movies. And they've been running, you know, legitimate, very nice drive-in theaters on the fairgrounds. And so we went, we saw Jurassic Park, and it was wonderful.
1: Sweet. Uh, I need to see if they're doing that around Dallas. I don't think so. Then again... Our guy is trying to open everything up really really fast so
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm just kind of like the most people I want to see is just in a Walmart when I'm shopping for food otherwise I want to stay a f- as far away from everybody as I can
0: yeah, well, I, I get you there I get you there <laughs> we uh- we amazingly have the most non-Republican Republican governor in all of governors in Massachusetts. still weirds me out that we have a Republican governor in Massachusetts, but we do. And he has been amazingly good about this whole rollout thing, even though everybody has scrutinized him for, we just want our rats back. I just want to be able to go outside and spit in your face. Right. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> it's brutal. They had a two-week-long protest outside his house protesting the mask thing. Of course they did. During yeah. all Black Lives Matter protests. Because, you know, which one of these things is more important, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Jesus Christ. So what else? What else was going on? Um. So while I was in the initial quarantine, um, like, when i got furloughed from my job and not let go oh. and i was getting uh, the cares uh, act money so i was like semi okay i took an entire day and watched all of digimon try on amazon <laughs> now now digimon try is six about 90 minute movies
0: holy crap
1: yeah and I just took a day and watched all of it. Had
0: you ever seen it before?
1: Uh, I hadn't. And I made a point to see it because one of the movies that got delayed um, from coming over here uh, was uh, Digimon Last Evolution. And it's a sequel to Digimon Try. And Digimon Try is a sequel to the original Digimon Adventure. And Last Evolution was kind of is kind of billed as a sign-off movie where the Digimon are like a metaphor for uh, childhood. And they're eventually, because they're getting older, like literally because they're getting older, they're going to have to say goodbye to their Digimon partners one way or another. Like that's the central wow. of the thing is that they eventually do have to say goodbye to these guys. And I was so looking forward to that. And now that's delayed.
0: Oh, the, well, yeah, I mean, at least you get to watch Digimon Try, which is good.
1: Oh yeah, that that's all on Amazon, um, and like that's what I've been doing is mostly like watching a bunch of shows. Like whenever Avatar hit Netflix, I rewatched all of Avatar. Yep. Uh, I think the last time we spoke, you hadn't really seen much of it. Have you dove into any of that since uh, it's been I, on
0: Netflix? I watched, I watched a few episodes. My plan is to finish all of it. It is just fantastic. It's it's like like you told me and like everyone else told me. It's better than you think it's going to be. And if you think it's going to be good, it's even better than that. It's it's just fantastic.
1: Yeah. And at this rate, um, on August 14th, they announced uh, the sequel series Legend of Korra is also going to be on Netflix. So you can watch all of it. Mm-hmm.
0: I remember Legend of Korra. I I only saw a couple episodes of that, too, but I didn't know they were tied together until I went, wait a minute.
1: (laughs) Yep. Uh, Legend of Korra is like, I think the timestamp is 70 years after the end of uh, the original show. I love that kind of stuff. Yep. And I just got uh, an even even more Avatar news. Uh, Tuesday saw the release of... uh, Shadow of Kiyoshi which is a sequel novel about one of the previous avatar lives. Nice. I've been reading that and I'm about halfway through and I got it yesterday.
0: Damn. You read you read as fast as my wife. She
1: blows through stuff. I read super slow. I don't know why. <laughs> well it's well it's a well-written book and it's also one of those where the like text is not tightly packed i think it's like 1.5 spacing it looks like yeah and it's a it's a shorter book
0: i've been um really enjoying my friend has an audible account so he gets you know he spends a lot of money there so they give him all kinds of free books so he gifts them to me so mm-hmm. i've got a full library of audiobooks that i've been going through and um I've been working my way through the Horus Heresy Warhammer series because oh. uh, the Geeks with Shields guys are into Warhammer, and they can get me into that, and it's awesome. I could imagine if I was reading these that I'd blow through them. I I used to read a ton of fantasy novels. Um, I really liked like the uh, Icewind Dale stuff and things like that. And
1: oh yeah, like I have a I have at least four of those collections.
0: It reads like that it just it just flies through it's just really intense and well written and i didn't know anything so what's cool is these guys you know they're they their warhammer um aficionados or at least you know they've been into it for a long time so these books were written after the stuff that happens after it so they're kind of like a prequel thing so right. people all these characters, but don't know how they got where they get. So for them, it's like crazy foreshadowing, and they wanted to know if me reading it, I still picked up that it was foreshadowing. Because, you know, they go, oh, when he says that, and I go, you know, I get it. It's definitely alluding to something, but you can't figure out what it's alluding to, right? And I go, no. And they go, that's what's great about it, is we know exactly what it is, and it's crazy that, like, you know, it's it's a good example, I guess, of a good prequel, where, like, it's still... Interesting, even if you know.
1: Yeah. Um, that honestly kind of sounds like the feelings uh, I got when I watched the final four episodes of The Clone Wars. Have you seen uh, The Clone Wars, or at least those four episodes?
0: not seen them yet, and everyone keeps telling me that I have to. I, I have such a... Not a betrayal feeling, because I love Star Wars. I just... I need to sit down and just dive into the Clone Wars because everyone tells me it's great. And I got so tired of everything involving the prequel world of Star Wars after I got through those three movies that I just didn't want to see any more of it. And I really need to do it because I've, I've heard it's just great.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh that's fair. You you had the Star Wars burnout, but um, what I was gonna say about them, I'm good. I'm not sure if you can spoil them because they're technically a prequel to stuff we already know. But uh, you you know how in Star Wars, uh, they like to use the future foresight thing um, with characters, but yeah. we don't actually know because it's leading to stuff that hasn't come out yet or that we haven't seen yet so the final four episodes of Clone Wars does that with Darth Maul but the thing is is that we know exactly what's coming so we are in his head more than the uh, protagonist's head and we're like oh god listen to him like he he knows what's coming and it's awful and this is actually like a good version of this trick oh cool yeah like one one of his big moments is literally say, you don't know what you're doing we're all going to burn <laughs> and i actually talked with a friend um because i I'm like, cause one of the days I actually do want to do an entire Star Wars franchise rewatch, meaning like the prequel movies, Clone Wars, Rebels, Solo, all of it. I'm like, so when I get to this point, what do you think would be better to watch first? Episode three or the final four episodes of Clone Wars? And they're like, episode three and then the Clone Wars episodes. That That would probably be the preferred order if you're going to do something like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, that's... A- I actually really like episode three. Um, it's oh, just, I love it, it too. It's just so... It, my, my friends said this to me and it really hit a good nail on the head. They said, you know, say what you will about the Star Wars prequels, but there's better world building in those three movies and the stuff they've created from them than any of the other six films. And that was a really interesting point they said, I'm not saying it's good world building, but they do more. And the Clone Wars shows, they, they said, have been able to put putty in the cracks of the things that weren't quite right about those prequels and really elevate the world building. And I said, that's a really cool point. And I, I'd love to see some stuff made, like more things like Rogue One and Solo that, that are filling in the cracks of the newer stories because there's so much cool world to explore back there. You know, I, I, and that was, I think, my biggest bummer about um, uh, The Rise of Skywalker, even though as a singular film separated from the rest of the bunch, it's still a very entertaining Star Wars movie, is that it does all of this great, like, multi-world. It's a very visually stunning movie, and there's all this cool stuff, and it's like, yeah, but because the story is kind of so flat you know in comparison to what came before none of it holds any weight and that's a bummer because the last jedi did a ton of great world building and i cared about it so i want to see more even solo solo is kind of a useless film in the grand scheme of it doesn't really have an impact on the main story because it can't but Uh. all of stuff they stuck in with the Clone Wars stuff and the extended universe stuff with Darth Maul and the other characters was fascinating. It's like, make me more of those
1: movies. You know? The side adventures and stuff.
0: That's why I like Mandalorian so much. Again, it's not, um, there's nothing like crazy, amazing that comes from it, you know, because we've only been through one season, but they do so much to add to the universe that we're living in. You know, and I I love that. And, and, you know, so you'll have missteps. That's fine. I mean, the, there's entire lines of dialogue, exchanges in Revenge of the Sith, that are some of the best stuff the series has done. And if it had only been written a little bit better, <laughs> it could have been. Because the
1: acting is actually pretty
0: good in that movie. Yeah, it's
1: Especially when Hayden Christensen goes evil. He's actually really good at the evil, yeah, the evil turn.
0: I remember being in the theater and going there you go this is why Hayden Christensen plays this role like he he's he's very good at it in this movie it's the middle story they didn't he didn't have a story to tell it's such a bummer
1: that yeah. they made us
0: stick with that middle sequence for so long
1: yeah attack of the
0: clones and oh. that's why the Clone Wars from what I've heard is so good because it goes and here's what was going on during all of that that was actually interesting yeah <laughs> you know,
1: okay. right. People give Attack of the Clones a lot of crap, but honestly, whenever the clones show up at the Coliseum, that's probably oh, yeah. some of the best Star Wars battles ever, and I think that's actually, no, that's the second time we see, like, a large-scale, like, fully realized ground war, the first being yep. Phantom Menace, yep. and it becomes What's awesome that? then because it's, like, a prequel to one of the greatest Star Wars shows ever. Yes.
0: No, the, 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 pro- the difference is the Phantom Menace one is slapstick. That's, yeah. that's the big problem with the battle in the Phantom Menace is they turn it into a comedic scene.
1: Yeah, And the the Attack is
0: there. of the Clones one is so serious. And, and, and like you said, the Coliseum sequence onward is some of the best action in Star Wars history. And I will never let Attack of the Clones be forgotten because of it. It's just you've got an hour and a half slog of nothing to get through, to get to it. And that's the biggest problem.
1: Yeah, the only other really notable, like, scene story-wise prior to that is when Anakin uh, reunites with his mother and then genocides yeah. the skin raiders. Yeah, that
0: was, that's actually some good shit, too, actually.
1: <laughs> um,
0: it's a bummer. It's just, it, you know, sometimes people just need handlers. Those those movies were in desperate need of an editor, and, or a producer, someone to come in and go, all right. <laughs> you've got great ideas here. Let's cut this junk out. Yeah, he uh, got his footing. He got his footing with *Revenge of the Sith*, though, and and that tone I think has made its way into the *Clone Wars* stuff and into the uh, the sequels. You know, they've definitely carried a lot of that mythology and tone through which I think is really important.
1: Oh yeah. But and now, and now I want to rewatch the clone wars again. So I can no, I, get those final I, four episodes. <laughs> You've reinvigorated
0: my, my need to do it. So that's awesome.
1: And they're Just, about to make a kind of another sequel series to the clone wars, the bad batch. Have you heard of that? Or yes. Heard that? yes. Yeah. That, that was like a four episode arc in the final season um which it was just like a bunch of mutated clones that had like quote-unquote genetic defects but it made them really like specialized and so they're like instead of just tossing these clones out like we used to we're going to put them in like an elite group led by basically a uh, space john rambo like, <laughs> like there's nobody around it their leader is literally designed to look like a uh, sylvester stallone as john rambo from the rambo movies
0: that's awesome
1: and I guess the series is going to be that following that particular batch of clones dealing with the immediate end of the Clone Wars. So it'll be like the immediate aftermath of episode three. Oh, that's gonna be awesome. Yeah, because cause that's the thing, is like there's because droids you can just shut down and like Rebels addresses this in the one kind of Clone Wars episode that they have where they run into some old battle droids from the war. Um, And they said, like, there was a gigantic signal that just shut down all the droids across the galaxy, and that was that. But they never really addressed, like, what they did with the clones, because the clones are, like, living humans. That's crazy. Yeah, so I'm, I'm eager to see that. Um, yeah, dude,
0: it, it sounds crazy, and I'm psyched that uh, that they got the whole crew back for another season of The Mandalorian because that was great. And I guess Waititi's getting his own Star Wars movie.
1: I guess he is, and uh, I can't wait to see what he does with it.
0: Oh man, all I can picture is like, even though I I would imagine considering he was able to you know make a Mandalorian show that was episode that was both fully him. And also, fully a Star Wars show. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I really, you know, one, I would love to see Star Wars Thor Ragnarok. That would crack me up. But also, I, I hope it's more like his episode of The Mandalorian. The gag with the stormtroopers not being able to hit anything. Oh, that's
1: all-timer. He finally like oh. just a lampshade on it in universe. So good. <laughs> it's it's kind of like um, kind of like in the first. Star Wars, whenever there was only ever going to be one Star Wars and Obi-Wan's like, nobody could be as precise with a blast uh, as Stormtroopers, but then we don't see him hit anything for three movies straight. (laughs) So so in the prequels and then especially in Clone Wars, they just make Obi-Wan Kenobi the most sarcastic son of a bitch um, of all time. Like He is just always being a sarcastic pain in the ass. He was just trolling you the whole time. That, that, so you so hope everybody's like, oh, he's just continuing to be a troll. My name's Gibetto Funkin. One shoe stumble, knackle timber shivers at your service. I'm looking for some friends of mine. The Many Pennies? The Many Pennies. Them.
0: I know we've been really busy, but I think that all we need to do is just tackle the next thing on this 24 item to-do list and we'll be fine. Someone bring me some food.
1: Also, my flask is empty. I need a refill. Nobody panic. I may have lost several scorpions. I said nobody panic. Check out this new skin patch on my cloak, guys. Guys? You know, I might be looking for someone else. I don't blame you.
0: Adventure Incorporated, a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition actual play adventure podcast. New episodes every Monday. Find us at AdventureIncPod.com Yeah, man, it's... It's cool. I'm, it's it's great to just be a fan of stuff because they're allowing people a lot more um, a lot more breathing room to have fun with it. Even in the uh, even in the kind of you know paint by numbers way they do the Marvel movies, they, they're still allowing so many people to just come in and put their own personal mark on it. And I, I think that's a great thing. And I really hope movies come back so we can keep watching them because you know. There's some. There was supposed. This was supposed to be a great summer for films, and now, yeah. and now we're gonna have like a three month period next spring where everything comes out at the same time.
1: Yeah, it's gonna be a bloodbath. And
0: that's the question: is Is this like I was talking to my brother about this, and, and I you know can pose the question to you now that we're, you know, this was back in March we were talking about it where we thought okay. Worst case is the world would be turned back on in June is what we were talking about then. <laughs> you know? Worst yeah. case. But you know, so a lot of things got shifted to the fall. You know, like I, I would imagine if movie theaters start to open up in mid-August, which they were supposed to open in mid-July, I won't be going, but but I imagine if they start opening that Disney will still put Mulan out there, or they'll just switch it over to Disney Plus and call it a day. But If, say, Tenet, which has now been indefinitely pushed back, does open worldwide in, like, September, that was supposed to be, like, the big summer blockbuster. That was supposed to be the mid-July, you know, big, big, you know, geeky people and sci-fi fans and regular moviegoers all love Chris Nolan, so they're all going to show up. Right. Does that start the movie season? Then do we then change the seasons? Does September through Christmas then become the summer? And then the spring becomes the Oscar bait season. And then the summer next year base is a dumping ground for crap. Like, or does it just reset itself? And is that why they're waiting and just pushing everything ahead of year? Like how quick do we, because we've all changed right we you know in these last 5 months the world has learned a new normal so what happens with movies if they do come back
1: i'm you know? i'm of the opinion that it'll probably just reset itself like thing, things are going to be weird i think um, if it lasts that long maybe to 2022 uh for yeah. I, th- I think things are gonna be weird, but I think it ultimately just writes itself a- eventually. By then, and it's like, okay, we're back on our uh, summer blockbuster season, our Oscar base slash winter blockbuster season, and then our August and January dumping grounds are all like back to normal. I, I think that's what's gonna happen. Is it'll be weird until about twenty twenty two,
0: but are we forgetting the option? Where say this goes on for another three months, right. right? Of of them just not opening. Not like, you know, this is gonna go on for a lot longer than three months, but the, the not opening part. Do you what what if like United States has, you know, three or four big movie chains, right? What if every AMC closed? That. Just like want one out there for a minute. What if it actually happened? What if AMC went the way of Toys R Us and they just go? Then you can't get the movies to people anymore.
1: That's true. Hmm. What
0: happens then? Like you know what I mean? Like it's 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 crazy, right? Because film festivals, film festivals aren't happening. Like people I know that are in independent film were making movies. Like the, the people making the documentary about Blockbuster were making a movie that they were getting ready to pr- finish and premiere when this hit. So they had, okay, we're gonna have this festival, this month, this festival, this month, all that goes away. So now they have to go, okay, are there gonna be drive-in festivals or is it, are we gonna go stream it online? And is that even safe? If everyone's streaming online, is are all the pirates gonna go and pirate our movie before we even release it, you know? And so it, it's changing the face of this. Like how much more does it take for that entire industry to go belly up. And I don't mean the making of movies. They're not going to stop making movies. It's just the industry of how we get them.
1: Hmm. That, that's a tougher question. I honestly wouldn't even have a remote guess about what
0: happens. Because I, I, I would imagine, you know, D- Disney's got Disney Plus. So Disney's fine. You know, they've already proven that they, that, with with this Hamilton thing and the fact that it didn't crash, you know, even though people were using it, you know that that had more people watching it than the highest watched thing ever on Netflix. You know, so Disney did it right. Their their, their platform works. You know, they're they're not going anywhere. So right. if they had to, they could just say fuck it. We're not releasing movies in theaters anymore. Disney Plus now costs twice as much a month, and you're going to get all of our first run movies on here now. So they'll be fine. <laughs> but what happens to like um, Universal? They don't have a streaming service.
1: No, they don't. Mm-hmm. You
0: know, sure that they'll have the HBO Max. I'm sure because Universal and HBO, I think, are tied together somehow. But it's it's just really interesting to think: is this going to be the the blockbuster scenario where the big wigs go away, but then the little independent mom and pop startups come back? Like, because think about how long. Mom and pop video chains stuck around after Blockbuster, there's still some out there. You know, and people stick by it. You know, so it's gonna be really weird if this goes on for too much longer to see what because AMC is already basically bankrupt.
1: Yeah, I think I think if anything, it'll only be for the American market. Um Yeah, agree. I I think what's what's gonna happen is literally the United States is gonna be grounded from movies. Um, I, I, I think I,
0: mm-hmm. I think we're getting grounded from everything I think it's a the, our, our administration that we currently have are the schoolyard bullying and the whole class is getting detention because they're a bunch of idiots
1: that's it, what's really going on yeah, I think I saw your brother speculating that what would what could potentially happen is just the big companies release their movies internationally and the US gets nothing yeah because, like, Which, for Mulan, Mulan, Disney is not putting that on Disney+. Plus. They're not dumping that on Disney+, Plus because no. they know that is, like, a billion dollars in the bag easy. They're, they want the China uh, market for that.
0: <laughs> if they release that and not in the U.S., they're only going to lose, like, three or four hundred million of that $1.8 billion that movie's going to make by yeah. not putting we're not a
1: global box office uh, concern anymore. We aren't that big a piece of the pie in some regards,
0: and that's that's a really important point. Then is so then let's say the United States gets a fumigation hood put over it, (laughs) and we're left out. Does the movie industry, as far as in theater viewership, completely die in the United States? I think if they go six months without releasing a movie here from today on, I think at least one, if not two of the major chains that aren't worldwide are gone. And I'd say at least one studio will disappear. At least like you're going to get like a, a Blum house or something like that. That's just going to go belly
1: up. Yeah, I'd probably have to agree with you on that. We'll probably at least, I'm not sure about the, studio itself but the theater chain i could definitely like at least one theater chain i could see just vanishing
0: think about it this way right studios like marvel and disney and even you know smaller ones that shoot in canada and places have the money and the power to already have studios there but you get a small like an a24 or uh, Blumhouse, or someone like that, that really rely on the fact that they use United States money in United States places to shoot, so now they can't shoot here, so then they try to go to Vancouver, and Vancouver says, sorry, no, you're not fucking coming here, and they don't have money to pay them off. You know, this is is potentially catastrophic for the whole business, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying, well, I think the music industry, like the film industry, kind of needs to be reshaped, but it's a damn shame when the majority of the artists working in the industry are not the people causing all of this problem. It's a really hard catch 22, right? Right. But no, you're right. You're right about Mulan. Um, that's, that's, that's a really good point. But yeah, no, so that's probably what's going to happen with Tenet. Cause what Warner brothers said is where, we're talking about a release schedule that no longer is a worldwide opening. So that's probably what they're going to do is they're going to go open in like China and um, Japan or- places that are allowing people and, to go outside. Yeah. again. they actually kept their people safe.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's probably what we're uh, looking at. And then, we just get, we either get the movies way later or we don't get them in theaters at all. And we just have to stick with the home video slash streaming release of the movie.
0: Yeah, that's crazy to think about, right? Like that's, that's a way of life change, you know? Mm-hmm. And again, not for everybody, but it's still, it, you know, it's, the, the first, you know, year that video stores weren't a big thing anymore, that felt weird, right? Because it's like, well, what do we do? Like the majority of people just went out on a Friday and got movies. It's what they did. Um, and there's still a large portion of people that go to the mall and go to a movie, <laughs> you know? And that's why I was happy to see drive-ins show back up is, you know, if these drive-ins right now are setting up shop with the ability to show old movies, if these big chains go under that is an untapped resource to say, okay, we're going to do first run movies at drive-ins and see how it goes. Because at least you can social distance there. You're in your own car, you know?
1: I think whenever I looked for drive-in theaters around Dallas, like only one came up and it was like on the clear other end of the city from me. So not a trial I'd want to make, but Uh, another specialty theater did come up that I found kind of fascinating. It was called the Canine Theater. And you take your dog with you. Oh, cool. And, like, you can watch a movie in, like, stadium seating and bring your dog to watch it with you. Weird. I know. It it was really weird. I'm like, dogs? Really?
0: (laughs) Well, I mean... Yeah, my, my mother's dog used to, if if the TV was on, would just sit there with you on the couch, mesmerized.
1: Fair enough. the, the two I, dogs I had couldn't like stay, stay still that long.
0: I don't know if you saw. I forget the company, but there's some European movie chain that um is based out of Paris that is developing a concept theater where it's stadium. It basically looks like the um. The Star Wars Senate? Yeah, the Star Wars Senate. You see this? Yeah, I did see it, and I want them to build one here. Right? As soon as I saw that, I said that solves the problem. Give this to me. (laughs) Actually, that solves a lot of problems. Design a sports stadium that way too.
1: Seriously. But then you can't like get the most money and you have to pack you can't just pack everybody in like sardines. If you do that. But I mean, to, to be fair, movie theaters
0: had kind of, were already starting to go that way. I mean, with the comfort seating and everything, it was very much a, well, we can't make money off of quantity, so we have to make it a more quality experience and charge you more. And it's like, I, I'd i gladly pay 20 bucks for a movie ticket to feel like I'm the only guy in the theater. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, like I mean, those lining chairs. Oh, they great. chairs.
0: They're great, especially when there's a bar and you can go, you know, see a trashy movie and <laughs> you d- drink a very heavily poured Long Island iced tea that has no soda in it.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: God. I can't remember the last time I had a buzz from alcohol. It's, it's intense. But <laughs> it just, I, I don't know. There was a really cool theater in Framingham which is a little bit outside the city. Um, And it was an AMC. There were only two like it in the country. And it was called The Premium. And The Premium had, it was a regular theater. It was top-of-the-line regular theater. But then it had a separate entrance. And in that separate entrance was a restaurant. Um, Really good restaurant. And had a single theater, movie theater, with all temperpedic seats with tables. And you had waitstaff service for food before the movie started, or you could eat before. And it was like an $18 ticket, and then the food cost money. But popcorn and soda was on the house. And the best thing about it was it was 21 plus. Ah. Uh, so they would show... The, the on the weekend for the matinees they would show so they had two big movies for the matinee they would show the lower rated one and at night they would show the higher rated one but it was still 21 plus so you could go see you know inside out but in a theater with just adults and you, know. you got a nice meal and you could drink you know or do whatever it was really nice and then they used that concept to do the dine in theaters and the dine in theaters the quality is still pretty good but the problem is, is that it's not good for the employees. Like the employees are working in like, you know, a backroom fly, fryer later shack, you know, with like shitty hallways to get down to bring you the food. Whereas at this, the employees were like out there, you know, making the drinks in front of you. And it was like an open concept kitchen. So they were making jokes and you were talking about movies and they would make up drink specials that were themed to the movies coming out. And they, they took all that away and it's a bummer. Cause it was fun, you know?
1: Yeah, uh, Rob, I want to go to one of those. I hadn't actually heard of anything like that. The closest thing that I've ever seen has been like a studio movie grill and Alamo Draft House. And yeah. that's just, you order food at your while you're in the movie.
0: Yeah, Al- Alamo is very similar to how this was. Um, the Alamo Draft House is
1: nice. Oh, yeah, I love Alamo Draft House.
0: I feel bad. This guy Mark Levy, who goes by Blockbuster Guy, who runs a, um, he ran an off Broadway stage production, like talking about his stories at Blockbuster. He worked for the Alamo Draft House and has been furloughed because they just haven't been opened. you know. And it's it's just such a bummer because he loved that place so much.
1: <laughs> so what else you got going on, man? Um. I, can't, I actually came across a new show on HBO Max because I'm bumming that off my parents because they have the HBO subscription. Nice. Yeah, it's funny. they have, I
0: have mm-hmm. regular, whatever the regular paid HBO thing is. I haven't done the Max.
1: Yeah, they they had the regular HBO thing, and it comes with Max, but their TV uh, does not have the app. Oh, Need to update the TV, or their TV's just too old, and they're not going to put it on there. Um, and they also have a Roku, and that's the like one thing that HBO Max didn't want to be on was the freaking Roku. Yeah. Uh, but no, I I put it on my TV, and they had an anime series called cabinary of the Iron Fortress*. Have you heard of this show? No. So. It's not based on any manga, so far as I can tell. But it's basically feudal Japan in a steampunk zombie apocalypse. Nice. Like, there is a zombifying virus that's uh, taken hold of Japan. uh, But the nifty thing with their zombies is that um, the hearts... Are like basically put in a hard cocoon that normal fins can't pierce, um, that easily. So they're like really hard to kill zombies, you can't just like slice off their head or stab them in the heart and they die. Um, so, so all the remaining citizens of Japan have built these kind of walled cities and they're and they get around the country. With these gigantic, um, basically freight trains, like the entire country is like the, uh, it's like their high speed rail system, but with normal tracks. And these are like mobile fortresses that people just live on and travel between the cities to. Huh. And uh cabaneri is someone who got bit by a cabana, cabanet, which is what they're called. Um, the zombies, but to so stop the virus, and it kind of does the Attack on Titan thing, where our main character is living in a relatively stable city, and then one of the trains crashes into the city with a bunch of cabane, and things go to hell. And they have to get get out of there as just survival from there.
0: Well, this sounds great.
1: Yep, and they have like basically steam-powered um guns and yeah, I was like, okay, it's a zombie apocalypse, but it's feudal Japan. Oh, and it's also like very steampunkish kind of thing going on here.
0: A mix of all wonderful things that I I'm, I imagine mixed together really well, even though I wouldn't have p- placed it like normal.
1: Yeah. It's a 12-episode series. It's a pretty good little series, and then they made, like, one movie. Um, The movie, I don't think, is on Max, but it is on uh, Netflix, The Battle of Unato. Nice.
0: I gotta check it out.
1: Yeah, split into three episodes for some reason. It's really weird. Like, it's a movie, but they split it into three episodes on the Netflix listing. I don't know why. Yeah,
0: probably just to so people just think that they're getting more episodic content because that seems to be what everybody wants on Netflix
1: yeah maybe oh,
0: they, they did that with The Hateful Eight right? they they released a longer cut of it, split it up into episodes
1: oh I, I did not know that they did that for The Hateful Eight on Netflix
0: yeah and it's I don't really like the movie so it was just more of oh. uh-huh. <laughs> and I really, really like Tarantino I did not like that movie
1: yeah I, I liked it myself but it is like Oh
0: everyone in it is fantastic and they have such great dialogue it it just it, it's one of those things where it's like you know when you, you know when you you see a product of someone that you know went through a lot of hell to get it done and you catch you know some witty cynicism in it but they kind of do it in a fun cathartic way it, I don't know like I, I'm used to, T- Tarantino's movies have, have vulgarity and violence and racism and, and all this terrible stuff all over them, but that's kind of the charm of it, I guess would be the word, you know, is like at the end of the day, you've enjoyed the ride through it, even though there's some awful characters and people that do terrible things. And I didn't catch the charm of Hateful Aid. It just seemed like it It was just crass and nasty and dirty and wrong for no reason
1: is how yeah, I felt that, I, I, th- I think I get your I think I get what you're saying because I kind of started getting that mindset around I think it was like season 4 of The Walking Dead and why I dropped off that show it was just me, starting to get mean for no reason really yeah and it's it's
0: it's terrible because it's like usually they'll be like they will be a Speech or something in one of his movies where like it it just it makes everything piece together. Like for example, Christoph Waltz in *Inglorious Bastards* is horrible. Do you know what I mean? He's he's a Nazi. He does terrible things, but you love him. Do you know what I mean? Because he's just so goddamn charismatic. But everybody in this movie, it's like I go, what, why? Like this person sucks. Like, even Samuel L. Jackson, who has, you know, the big
1: speech about what he did to that guy's dad. Yeah, it's like he, he was being the ostensible hero in the thing, and then it turns out whenever he gets to that point, it's like, no, he's actually one of the worst ones in that building right now.
0: And you listen to what he said, and that and he's, again, Jackson is a hell of an actor. So the fact that he makes that seem so vile is the point, right? But I'm right. sitting there going this is normally where Quentin would have a character that would give a speech and you go, all right. Yeah. That guy sucks, but I get, okay, this is my protagonist. This is one behind because at least, you know, they did an awful thing, but they did an awful thing because of slavery, you know, and they get, but I, I watch it and I go, no, like that's, that's fucking sadism. That's terrible. Like wh- what? <laughs> like yeah, and I don't know it because again, the guy can write and his actors can act, and and I kind of felt the same similar way about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, even yeah. though I it's, I think it's a far better film. Um, I haven't
1: seen that one yet.
0: All right, so I won't I won't blow anything about it, but they it has this thing where it's like okay, we're going through real historic events. And he's doing the Inglorious Bastards thing about it. where right from the front. He's saying these are historical events that happened, but in a fantasy world where I can play around with it. So it's mm. like, okay, cool. So uh, the movie takes place around a terrible real life murder that happened involving the Manson family, right. and he and he Tarantino's it and tweaks the outcome without saying how he tweaks it. He tweaks the outcome. The problem is, is none of these characters have. Interacted with any of these people More than in a passing way So when one of the characters goes Hero and starts um, Retaliating Against the bad people That we know are going to horribly murder Somebody at some point The movie turns it into like Glorified revenge porn But the person isn't getting Revenge against anything that's happened To them Yeah. So so you watch And you go it's kind of like the the hanging at the end of the eighth Eight. You watch it and you go, "Why is this character like brutalizing these three poor women? Like so like 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 beating them senseless till their flesh rips off their heads?" I get it in real life these three people were about to do something terrible, but he doesn't know that. You, you yeah. know what I mean? So it's like it it comes off as being like is that?" I I feel I feel Something broke in him, and I think it, it might have had to do with, with Hateful Eight and how the script leaked, and he got really a- angry, and then went on the road and did, you know, the stage play to reinvigorate his love for the script. But something broke in him where it's missing the piece. It's missing the piece that gives weight to what's going on. Like in Glorious Bastards, it's not just because we're taking a cynical look at World War II. That makes that movie interesting. It's that the characters feel lived in and they feel like there's a reason that they do what they do. And Hateful Eight and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood feel like it, it feels like all the characters are just him and he's just running around like Grand Theft Autoing it and going, well, what if I do this now?
1: Yeah, at least from what I know of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in that particular case and what I know of Tarantino that likely was him basically doing a self-insert avatar of himself and taking yeah. revenge for himself. Like, eight, there didn't seem to really be a point, but I think in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, that was probably him working through some dark, angry stuff in his own head.
0: Yeah, yeah and again, the, the difference is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a fun movie. So when you get, and there's plenty of charm and there's plenty of, wow, I want to be that guy, you know, that, that's definitely a staple of Tarantino's, you know? Um, but man, the hateful eight, and I get, I guess the hateful eight could, could be satire. I guess it's kind of saying that, Hey, you know, that this time period in our country sucked and everybody sucked, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, it, it was, it was complete anarchy. You know what I mean? It was, it, you know. Pioneer Justice is is very scary shit, right? And to see that play out is a really cool thing, and I like his take on it. It's just, and maybe it's just me personally seeing all these actors I love be so vile with no point.
1: You know, that that could be that could be it because I know um, back whenever the Dark Knight came out, yeah, uh, my mom really did not like the idea that the last will and testament of Heath Ledger, who she had really liked as an actor, was the Joker. She just could not stand that. Did she ever
0: get to see the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus?
1: Oh, probably not. She doesn't really watch a whole lot of movies.
0: Yeah, only because at least for that, I mean, that's a weird movie too, but I loved the send-off they gave Ledger with that movie.
1: The I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you seen it? I have not. Do you do you know the story behind it? I I know nothing about this movie. <laughs> okay, well then
0: I'll I'll leave you with this because I do have to get back to work. But I think you should watch this movie. I think you'd love it. This is Terry Gilliam, pre-Terry Gilliam's brain breaking and him becoming a, a Me Too, like um, you know, cancel culture angry guy. Okay. <laughs> so this was back when he was still like, you know. The the fun-loving Monty Python guy that, you know, we love the movies that he makes. And he was making a movie with Heath Ledger that he did not finish when Heath Ledger died. And so this is like bad luck upon bad luck. But the idea of the movie is Heath Ledger's character is a character that goes into this thing called the Imaginarium. And each time he goes in it, he sees represented a different version of himself, his psyche, And the movie is about him working through his demons. So one time he goes in, it's his very masculine side. The other time he goes in, it's his more effeminate side. And the third time he goes in, it's his really dark, true side. And this is kind of revealed through the movie. So what had happened is he had filmed all the scenes before the Imaginarium. So what ended up happening was Jude Law, Johnny Depp, and um, uh, uh, Bullseye from the Ben Affleck Daredevil movie. Oh. Actor, you know, in Bruges. He's in a lot of great stuff. He was in um, Saving Mr. Banks. Uh, right. You know exactly who I'm to. The guy with the sex tape. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Um, each came in and played a version of him in the Imaginarium. So they put on, like, intentionally, because it's in a fake world, intentionally bad costume and like facial hair and stuff to look like Heath ledger and did impressions of their friend and they all took no money for doing the movie which is even cooler so they were able to give impressions of their buddy to help him finish his last movie and uh-huh. it's really cool uh colin farrell
1: by colin least. Farrell. there you go
0: and if there's if that isn't enough to sell you on it it also has tom waits in it playing the devil
1: Okay, yeah, I'm going to have to track this one down.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's a fantastic movie. It, it really is. It's so good. And, um, and it's crazy because the first shot of the film, pretty much, and this came out after Ledger died, was Ledger's character trying to hang himself. So it's like, it's really like, whoa, like this is imagery I don't want to see right now. Like, it's, it's, it's a very crazy movie. <laughs> that, that worked. It was, you know, I love him as the Joker, and that—that that is, he's deserving of every accolade. Right. But this, it's such a subtle little movie, and to see his buddies come in and do, do interpretations of him to help him finish his movie was
1: really cool. Yeah, I'll definitely give that one a look. I didn't know it existed.
0: <laughs> it's similar. I, I like stories like that, like how Paul Walker's brother came in and was the stand in for him to finish that Fast and the Furious movie and, uh, then they ju- and then they just digitally altered his face to look like his brother i that that's
1: really cool you know <laughs> so you you said you had to go <laughs> i
0: do unfortunately but as you can tell i could just talk all day man i this has been great i i hope this helped um helped you a bit too cuz we all we have are the people that we're friends
1: with right Yeah,
0: and it definitely did. Cool, man. Well, um, I will leave you with um, anything you want to pitch, anything you want to give a shout-out to, anything you want to tell people. Go for it.
1: Uh, You can find me on Twitter at RealRyanHorton. My pinned tweet is my blog where I post movie reviews, and I work on a fan fiction that I'm slowly writing the fifth chapter of. Uh, so just uh, keep your eyeballs out for all that if you decide to follow me.
0: <laughs> and you should follow them because you are you are one of the good people in that crazy hellscape. Um, <laughs> and we need to find more of us. More. Yes. Uh, yeah. So and uh, and and for me, I've got more things than I can even think of, and things that I don't want to blow yet in the uh, uh, mix. So. Um, please go follow Ryan. Please keep listening to my shows. And thank you, Ryan, for shooting the shit with Chippa today. And we'll talk to you all soon.
1: Thanks for having me.